This is Turn It Up, a podcast from the team at Kapia, celebrating community, the things that matter to them, and all the things in between. We have real conversations with real people about real issues. From food and housing security, social and economic participation, a stable and healthy environment, and inclusive design and planning. Hello, I'm Matthew Gordon, Client Executive at Kapia Consulting Group. And I'm Tiffany Tang, Senior Consultant and Client Development Lead at Kapia Consulting Group. And today we're going to be talking about renewable energy and transmission. Okay, so Tiffany, there is a number of acronyms and jargon coming our way. Just before we get started in this podcast, can we just clear up a few of these items? That would be great. I often got it wrong as well. Let's start with what is transmission? So today we'll be talking about transmission lines and not power lines. So transmission lines are the big electrical towers that take vast volumes of electricity from where it's generated to where it's needed. From transmission lines, the electricity goes into power lines, which are part of your local network. So transmission lines are the the big, tall towers. Another acronym that came up, RES. RES. Have you heard of this one before, Tiff? I think I did. And I think it's something around renewable energy zones. I believe that's correct. Renewable energy zones. So these are regional zones where planning and the development of renewable energy are being organised at a, at a regional level. ISP, I heard ISP a fair bit in these discussions. Mm, I've just Googled what that means. Doesn't mean that I actually know the meaning. So it stands for Integrated System Plan. What does that even mean? So this is a plan that the Australian Energy Market Operator puts together to plan the future of our energy systems, both electricity and gas across all of Australia. So the whole network that powers Australia. That's fascinating. And I believe the Australian Energy Market Operator, in acronym, people are calling them AEMO. AEMO. The other one is RIT-T. RIT-T. So this is Regulatory Investment Test for transmission. So the purpose of the RIT-T is to identify the transmission investment option, which will have the greatest economic benefit to energy consumers like you and I. So Tiffany, who are we going to be talking to today about transmission of renewable energy? We're meeting with Darren Edwards, and Darren is the founder of Energy Grid Alliance. Let's get him on the line. Let's chat. Hello, Darren. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Wonderful to have you on the program. Thank you, Matthew. Good morning, Darren. Tiffany here. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? Good, thanks. Excellent. So, Darren, you're one of the founders of the Energy Grid Alliance. It is only me, yes. It is only you. Energy Grid Alliance was really established with the purpose of engaging with electricity transmission companies industry regulators, market operators and relevant peak bodies, government and community to establish best planning practices for new electricity transmission projects. Yes. Before we get into Energy Grid Alliance, when did you first start taking an interest in transmission infrastructure? 
It's a really good question. I think I'll, I'll try and give you the short version of the story. During COVID, I, I actually run a design agency and work for myself. And during COVID, that took a bit of a hit because the conference and event industry went into hibernation. So during that process, we we're actually looking at building our own house, bought a block of land in Dali, which is north of Bacchus Marsh. So I spent 18 months on the tools, owner building our own home. And about two days after we moved in, one of our neighbours said, oh, so what do you guys think about the transmission lines going in front of your house? And I went, uh, excuse me, what are you talking about? And so we started looking into it and realised that back then it was called the Western Victorian Transmission Network Project was going within probably 500 metres of our home right in front of the vista over the Lunaduke State Park. So it was going to have a massive amenity impact was the first reaction to it. And of course, you come to these things and it's all emotional. It's like, oh, why did we build here? What have we done? Why didn't we look into it? Why don't we be told? All those sort of questions start to emerge. And my background is in strategic planning, marketing and policy development for organisations I've worked with. So when I see that there's a problem, I tend to go back and look at where did this problem start from? Why weren't the community informed about this project? How are they only learning about it now once the route's been determined? So I started looking right back to the National Energy Rules, the RIT-T framework, what's now the ISP framework. In fact, it was only in the 2018 ISP. The planning processes in terms of setbacks for new transmission developments and realised that nothing had been developed for new transmission planning. I think all the regulatory framework that was established was set up to facilitate minor augmentations on transmission networks around coal-fired power stations that already existed. I think the RIT-T framework is set up especially to try and reduce gold plating of the transmission network and try and deliver least cost to energy consumers or those who transport, generate and consume electricity. So with this transition to renewables, which is essentially rebuilding our grid, it concerned me that no one thought to actually say, well, how are we going to get there? What rule book do we need to better facilitate this? What planning mechanisms do we need to better facilitate this to take into consideration broader concerns such as environment, public policy, tourism, impact on land use, and those type of things? And it became fairly clear that the, the current framework and supporting legislations were just not fit for purpose. And so I then established Energy Grid Alliance purely with the purpose of better understanding how projects such as the Western Renewables Link, which is called now, can be developed with greater sensitivity around externalities to the power system. Yes, we need to get from A to B, but how is the best, least worst regret solution or least regret pathway? Your whole journey into this is so interesting, and we do want to sit with that for a couple more moments first. So just a little bit of playback. It was in 2020 that you've decided to build your house? We finished building it in 2020. It took us about 18 months to build it. So probably about midway through 2018, um, we started the construction process. You as a designer decided that, okay, I would just build my home in a regional area. This is my dream house. I'm going to make it great. And I will spend 18 months to build this. Yeah, yeah. And it's all done when you kind of realize there's something else happening in your town. One of the challenges there is because we're a neighbouring property to the transmission corridor, we're not considered an impacted landholder. So it's only those who are directly impacted, as in the hosting infrastructure on their properties, that are considered. So they're, they're the ones that receive the communication. And I think the communication around that was quite late as well. I think the RIT-T process for this project started in 2017. And it wasn't until the end of 2019 that the contract was awarded to the proponent. And it wasn't until the following June in 2020 that 
actual impacted landowners were first notified about the project. So and- you being the neighbouring people that are not sitting right in that area, you kind of left to this scenario where one day your neighbour kind of told you about this thing because you saw a sticker. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly connected to this huge project that's going to impact your property. And it was huge. It was uh, Emotionally, it was a real slap in the face because you think, why have we just invested all this money? Why have we just invested all this time blood, sweat and tears building this property. I mean, the, the reason we built here was for the views over the Lydadeg State Park and now that's just been taken away. So it was quite heartbreaking, but you have to try and put your emotions aside. I don't believe you can fight these things with emotion or seek better outcomes with emotion. It needs to be done with logic, needs to be done with a framework and the right policies and planning mechanisms in place. And so that's that's where my journey down that path started. Because a lot of people got hit by these sudden change in their life. And there are a couple of avenues to that, right? You can go to your councillors, you can start a protest, you join all the Facebook groups. Did you did all of that and realise it didn't work and you went to the, dig up more all, all the policy papers and start your group? How did that change? Yeah, so I'm one of those people that if I see a problem, I have to find the solution to it. And I tend to invest myself 100% into that cause. And so I'd, I'd said to my wife at the time, look, I don't want to get involved. I'm not interested in it because I know it's just going to consume me. And so she joined up a local committee and went to a committee meeting. I think it was about five or six members there to talk about the project. And she invited me along. And so I went along and sort of sat there and was listening and listening to the approaches I'd taken to it. And in the end, I just went, right, I think this is what we need to do is this, 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 and this. And from that moment, I was invested in it. This project being the first in Victoria and probably the first in the NEM, it's really important that we set the precedent for large-scale transmission development. And if we get this one wrong, the next 10 to 15 years of transmission development is going to be tripping over the same hurdles. It's really important to reset a process on this on a project like this to get it all right, have all the parties talking together, have all the parties involved in the process so that future projects are going to be a lot smoother. Darren, you recently wrote a report about how social licence for these sorts of projects could be granted or, or achieved from a community perspective. What are the strategies or approaches you're asking governments, network providers, market operators to undertake when planning for transmission investment? Well, essentially, that that report started from there there was a lot of talk about how can we acquire social licence and how can we acquire trust for transmission. And a lot of the modelling came out of the wind farm industry where there was a lot of talk around we just need to better compensate. Because I've done a lot of work on looking at the framework that enables these transmission developments, I said, well, yes, compensation is is part of the process, but it's not part of the process now. We can't pay for poor planning and we can't pay for mistakes that have been made. We need to fix those mistakes first. And understanding that any overhead transmission project or even on the ground for that matter is going to impact somebody somewhere. So in recognising that, it's important to minimise those impacts as much as possible on people, the planet, biodiversity, tourism, all, all those considerations external to the to the energy market. I started looking at why people are in opposition to projects like this. And there's, there's a lot of connection to land, particularly in regional Victoria or, or regional areas around the country. And there's a real passion there and a real community spirit where, yes, people don't want it in their backyard, but they don't want it in their neighbour's backyard either. They don't 
want to shift that burden onto somebody else. And there's a lot of commentary around, oh, they're just NIMBYs, they're, they're happy with it somewhere else. But in a regional community, there's a real connection there. So I thought, well, it's not about NIMBYism. It's not about shifting the problem to someone else. It's about the planning process and it's about getting the planning process right. And bring it back to my own perspective, if I had trust in the planning process and I could look at it and say, whoever was playing this project has actually looked at all these different options. They've applied a multi-criteria analysis to say, how is this route going to impact on people? How is this route going to impact on the environment as opposed to an alternate route? And they could actually justify that they've looked at the least regret solution. While I won't be happy looking at transmission towers, in my view, I can appreciate that this is the best outcome we could possibly hope for. And you would have greater acceptance of it. But as it currently stands, because none of those considerations were taken into account, you cannot accept that this is the only solution for the project. And that's where the inacquisition of social license for me, it doesn't come from better compensation. It doesn't come from necessarily earlier engagement. It comes from the correct planning process. In an ideal scenario, when should the community be involved in these planning decision-making processes at what stage of the process? I think as early as possible. It's a challenge with the ISP is that they, the community considerations are, are developed based on a lot of desktop analysis. So there's very little actual community consultation. The first time a community will know about it is seeing the integrated system plan with a line drawn on a map. And the assumption is then that this is where it's going. But there's not a lot of communication beyond that point about how that optimal development path was developed. And it's usually not until that project then goes through a RIT-T process and is awarded to a proponent that the on-ground work starts. If you look at the, the scale of transmission we need to build out for a body like AMO to actually go out and conduct all those on-ground work is, is going to be exhaustive. But I think if they did that work on the initial projects to develop a multi-criteria analysis, they would then be able to take that information back to their desktop studies and say, look, we know this is high value agricultural land. We know this is high value tourism land. We know these areas are materially populated. So let's try and avoid them as much as we can. They might look at other areas and say, well, we know that these areas here are more accepting of transmission development. So what about if we route it through this area here? And once you have that information into the system, you can run multiple iterations of a development path to then come up with the best solution that considers all those externalities rather than just saying, well, it needs to be the cheapest pathway or, or the greatest net benefit pathway in terms of the energy market. With all these transmission investment, often takes years to progress. We are yes. just at the starting point of selecting the route, not even talking about digging up the ground and doing all the things. How do we, in your opinion, sustain community consultation over a long and multi-staged decision-making process? That's a really good question because Project Energy Connect has taken 26 years to develop in various forms. And I think the, the general rule of thumb is sort of eight to 10 years for a, from inception to commission of a project like this. There are key stages, I guess, where the community will need to be engaged and, and, and be informed, but at different levels. So there's obviously going to be messages around what's the construction phase look like, planning stage look like, what's the EES or EIS process look like. And I think for me, if I was to go back on the Western Renewables Link project, if the community were informed about the project from its inception, they could have contributed to the RIT-T process. They could have 
advised on possible better routing solutions, may have even made one of the alternate options more, a more credible option. And there's always that argument that, well, do you want to impose that mental burden on people from those early days and have that carry it right through? And I think I go back to what I was saying before, that it shouldn't need to be done on all projects for the next 10 years. I think once, if we consult a lot on these earlier projects, it'll help to build a knowledge base of what people are concerned about, what their objections are likely to be, because this Western Renewables Link has been a massive learning curve for the industry and as well as communities and politicians and everyone involved in the process. And while it's important to take those learnings from that, we should then be able to apply those learnings to future projects so that we're not having to engage for such extensive periods because the planning processes will be better. And, and there'll be a lot more trust in the planning process that as an individual, I am being considered in this. So I don't need to worry too much about what's happening because I have trust in the energy market that they're actually developing a solution that's that's going to minimise the impacts. And if you can do that and, and have less impact on less people, the ongoing consultation with those people isn't going to have such a broader impact on a lot of people. As, as community members and as, as the public, we're all engaged in the transition to renewables and we're all engaged in doing this in the name of the climate and transitioning away from fossil fuels and those type of things. So we all need to be part of that process. And there's a lot that communities can contribute to this process as well. That we might not have the technical knowledge. We might not know what an electron is or what, what 500 kV means or what megawatts and megawatt hours might mean. But there's a lot that we can contribute in terms of public policy and acceptance of these transmission projects. And, and even that extends onto solar and wind farm developments as well. There's, there's a lot of knowledge that can be taken from the last two years on the Western Renewables Link and also in Hume Link and Marinus Link in Tasmania that needs to be listened to rather than, yes, we hear you, but we're still progressing anyway. And I think that's the biggest concern for community members is that they need to be listened to, they need to be heard and understood, but they also need to see that someone is acting upon that information and making a difference rather than saying, oh, yeah, we hear you. And in the future, it might get better. But for this one, we can't do anything about it. The contract's already been awarded and we can't back from that. We just need to progress on. I mean, the problem I see that comes out of that is because these communities are so engaged and so aware and becoming so knowledgeable on the energy market, which is something we shouldn't be knowledgeable on, that information that's been collected and that, and that knowledge is very, very quickly going to be shared to other communities to strengthen their campaigns when they're looking for better outcomes as well. So if something's not done now to fix the heart of the problem, which is the rule book supporting this, then we're going to continue for the next 10, 15 years to be having the same discussions. Thank you very much for sharing your insights today. It sounds like the key lesson here and the, and the big learning is that at the end of the day, community not only want to be heard, not only want to be understood, but their contributions valued in the decision-making process. Absolutely. Yeah. Darren, I've heard your story. You're a sort of, you know, if I had to give you a sort of a moniker, I would say it's a, an activist in a suit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> You've been listening to Turn It Up from the team at Kapia. Subscribe, follow us, or feel free to get in touch. Kapia.com.au.